Okay, guys, we're in 2 Thessalonians. Now, 2 Thessalonians is a shorter letter. It only has three chapters, so we have today in five more lessons. So we're in lesson 10, and so we're going to look at a second letter. So this was written just to remind you about six or seven, maybe eight months after the first letter. Paul sent the first letter, which we just studied, to them. They replied, or a report came back to Paul, so he sends them a second letter. So this is Second Thessalonians. So let's look at this together. Let's first of all look at the standard greeting. This is how Paul usually presents himself to these folks. So I want you to notice. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at the greeting. First of all, verse 1 and 2 are pretty standard in the format of how Paul starts his letters, okay? So the writer identifies himself as the Apostle Paul, with his companions, Timothy and Silvanus. Now, you might be asking, and I think we raised this when we looked at the first letter, who in the world is Silvanus? You guys know who Silvanus is? Any clue? I'll tell you what he is probably, the other name by which he is known. Silas. Okay? Silas. It was typical in that day, especially for the Jews, to have two different names, okay? What were the two names that Paul had? Saul, which would be his Hebrew name, and his Greek name was Paul or Paulus, okay? So what we see here is Silvanus, okay? So the writer identifies himself and his companions. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I want to make note of this because this is very, very important. This is one of the letters. This is one of his earlier letters. But did you notice how Paul, look at verse 1. How does Paul identify himself here? What does he say about himself? He, He says nothing. I'm Paul. Okay? This is the point. When you look at his other letters, he'll say, Paul. Then he'll say, chosen to be an apostle, or an apostle by the choice of... Do you you understand? He talks about, he just presents himself, and then he talks about what he's called to do. In this letter, he doesn't even do that. Why am I making a big deal out of this? Because in what I want you to understand, in biblical Christianity, okay, biblical Christianity, the position is not the issue in presenting yourself. You just present yourself as you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Then you talk about what you do. Okay? Then you talk about what you do. You know, because a lot of times you'll be in a church where you might have a pastor who insists upon being called reverend or doctor or pastor. Have you ever been in a church like that? Okay? That's really not the point here. You don't ever see that in the New Testament. You say, well, that's just Paul. No, look at Peter's letters. Look at James. James is the pastor of the most prominent church, Jerusalem. 
How does he present himself, James? Did you understand what I'm saying? This is the point I want you to see. You know, you have to recognize that position isn't that prominent. Did you understand what I'm saying? Yes, it's prominent as far as paying honor to and respecting what they do. But who you are, your identity is not in your title. Your identity is in that you belong to Jesus. Do you understand? So I just wanted to kind of make a side note here, okay? So Paul addresses this letter to the church in Thessalonica in God the Father and Jesus Christ. So he's he's making a point here that the church is in God the Father and Jesus Christ. So if he was writing a letter to, to us, he would say, to the Kerwinsville Christian Church in Kerwinsville in God the Father and Jesus Christ. He's talking about our, uh, he's talking about our identity and who we are as believers. Okay? Now, let's go on. Paul bestows a traditional blessing of grace and peace from the Father and Jesus. So he bestows a traditional blessing. It was traditionally back then you would say to somebody, peace and grace. That's how you would greet people. Okay? That's how you would greet people. Now, as always with the ancient letters, and this is true not just in the biblical letters, but this is true of all letters from that time period, the next thing that they would do is they would say something nice about the person that they were writing to, or they would be thankful. So what we're going to see now in verses 3 through 12, which is the rest, we're going to focus on this prayer of thanksgiving. We're going to see the thanksgiving Paul gives for the Thessalonians. And from that, we're going to try and learn some lessons for ourselves, what we should be striving for. Okay, so let's look at verses 3 through 12, and I'll read these to you, okay? We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which are manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with all his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you is believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you 
and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let's take a look at this issue of thanksgiving. First of all, Paul stated that he was bound to give God thanks for their growth in faith and love. He was bound. Now, that's that's a really interesting word, isn't it? What do you think that means? He was bound. Okay, well, not just committed, but it, it, it emphasizes something else here. Okay? What do you think it means? He was bound to give thanks. Okay, you're getting close, Bruce. Servitude, okay? Because think about being bound, okay? All right? He's bound. All right, uh, I'm bound every Sunday to come here and preach to you. Well, yes, willing, okay? Yeah, don't, why are you raising that question, okay? (laughs) Okay. All right. Bound, do you understand? He is bound, that is, is he is compelled. He is basically has, really has no choice, is what he's saying, but it's not a negative thing. Usually when you feel bound, you feel like you have no choice, so you'll just do it, okay? But that's not what Paul's saying. He's, he's actually expressed before that he prays without ceasing for them, but he feels a burden to pray for them, that he's the one who has to pray for them. So you've got to look at it in a positive sense. Okay, stop for a moment. Who else would pray for the Thessalonians? Okay, stop for a moment. How many of you have loved ones who don't know Jesus? Are you bound to pray for them? Because who else would pray for them? Do you understand what I'm saying? Who else would pray for them? Well, surely somebody would. God would raise up some. Hasn't God raised you up? You gotta pray for them. You gotta pray for their souls. You gotta pray for God to open their eyes. You gotta pray for them to break through their rebellion. What were you gonna say, Sam? Yes, he is their spiritual father. He is the one that planted them, yes. So he's bound to them. You're bound to your children, right? Okay. This is the, this is the point he's making here. He's bound to give God Bound to God to give thanks for their growth. Now notice what they're growing in. This is what you and I should be growing in. They're growing in their faith, which he said is exceeding. And in their love, not just that they feel love, but that they love each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? That they're growing in those two areas. That they're growing in their faith, and in their love. They're connected. Do you understand? You, can I be honest with you? Here I am. I have been a believer now 32 years. Can I tell you that even here in the last few months, I'm realizing that God is teaching me about how much I need to grow in my faith. And after 32 years, I haven't arrived. But that I, you know what I'm saying? He's stretching me to continue to grow more and more in my faith. You're going to grow in your faith until you go to be with Jesus. I hope you will. And then you also need to grow in your love towards each other. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? It did, you're, and that's going to continue until Jesus comes. So he's bound to give thanks because he looks at their life and he sees that they're growing. Here's the other thing. He stated that he boasted of their faith and patience in all of their troubles. He's like, hey, you know what? When I'm with the other people and the other churches, I talk about you guys because, man, you are growing in your faith and look at how patient you are in the midst of the stuff you're going through. Now again, remember what I told you? That's life, isn't it? And especially if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer even more. Because you have an enemy who's real. Okay? You have an enemy who's real, and so he's boasting about them. Let's go on. The suffering of the believers is evidence that they are counted worthy of the kingdom. Whoa, whoa. Have you ever heard that statement before? Listen, look at what it says there. Verse 5. Which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom. All right, stop for a moment. How many of you here want to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God when you look at your Christian life? Do you want to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God? Guess what he says has to happen? You have to suffer. Isn't that interesting? You have to suffer. God did not say that when you become a believer, everything's going to be cushy. Everything's going to be roses. Everything's going to be a gravy train of Krispy Kreme donuts coming for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Wonderful, delectable, heavenly things. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not going to be that way. It's going to be suffering. Now think about that. When you look at the guy on TV, he's telling you that if you have faith, you're going to have what? Health and wealth. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. How do you overlook that, that, that you are counted worthy? It's a manifest thing that you are counted worthy of God by suffering. See, that's got to change our attitudes about suffering, doesn't it? He's the one who allows it to happen in your life in the first place. Did you ever consider that? Nothing happens to you or me except that God allows it. For his, and he uses it for his purpose in your life. For his purpose in your life. Now, the suffering of believers is evidence that they are counted worthy of the kingdom. God and his righteousness. Now, here's the one thing that you and I can hang on to because he follows that up with, well, what about those who are doing it to me? Well, look at what he says here. God and his righteousness will repay those who persecute believers with affliction. Over and over in the New Testament, you see that God says, you know what, you're, you're suffering because of your faith. You've got people who are, who are down on you because of your faith. They mock you. They... Listen, there's a day of reckoning coming. There is a day of reckoning, and I'm going to deal with them. In fact, in Revelation, when you look at chapters 2 and 3, I think it's to the church of Phil. I think it may be even one of, it might be Smyrna or Sardis or Philadelphia. He says that they will come and bow down before you and acknowledge that I love you. Your enemies will bow down before you. He tells that to the church. 
You know, it reminds me of a story I read long ago about a farming community, and a lot of the farmers there were were Christians, but there was one farmer who wasn't a Christian. So the Christians wouldn't work on Sunday. They wouldn't do their fields on Sunday, but the guy who wasn't a Christian, he went ahead and worked and did his fields on Sunday. And so when harvest time came, he had a bountiful harvest. So he took out a full-page ad in the local paper and set mocking the Christians for giving up one day a week when they could have been like him and had a whole lot more money from the harvest. The next week, there was a little thing in the paper that the Christians took out. And it said, just simply these words, God doesn't settle accounts in October. That's truth, isn't it? There's always a day of reckoning coming. And so he's saying to them, Look, the God in his righteousness will repay those who persecute believers with affliction. He's going to repay them. They're not going to get away with it. Nobody gets away with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody gets away with it. It seems like that. We cry out because of the injustice that we see in our world. Nobody gets away with it. Nobody. Believers will be given rest from suffering of this world when Jesus comes. You know when the when the bad things are going to stop? When Jesus comes for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? When Jesus comes for you, that's when the bad things are going to stop. And then we read in Revelation chapter 20 that he's going to wipe away every tear. And that there will be we will eat from the tree of life and have healing. That's when the bad things are going to end. Let's go on. Jesus will come to take a flaming vengeance on those who do not believe and obey. Jesus is going to come and take a flaming vengeance on those who do not believe and obey. The reality is is that you're to share because it may be that that is what God says to that person, well, I gave you a chance and you didn't. You're without excuse. Do you understand? Our message of the gospel is not just words to get people saved. We want them to get saved, but it's also the warning. Do you understand what I'm saying? The warning. So Jesus will come and take vengeance on those who do not believe. You need to understand that. God views... Those who die in their sins and who go to hell as vengeance has been taken upon them for their rejection of God. Do you understand? That's hard because that's our loved ones. Unbelievers will be cast away from God into an everlasting and eternal judgment. Paul's making that very clear here. This sounds, I thought this was a thing of thanksgiving. He's just helping them to get a perspective here, folks. There is no second chance. There is no, I mean, I know the the, the one doctrine one group has about working your way out of purgatory to get there. There is none of that. It's either you know him or you don't know him. 
It's either you're saved or you're not saved. It's either you have accepted Christ by faith and you're going to heaven, or you have rejected him, which means you're going to what? You're going to hell. That's just reality. But I'm going to be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? What is scary is is that for a lot of believers in North America, we think everybody's going to be okay. They're not. They're not going to be okay. They need Jesus. Does that not grip you? It should. Jesus will be glorified through the lives of all believers. Here's the thing. You were created for this purpose. I think it's the first question of the, of the, of the shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the answer. The old divine said in England when they put together the Westminster Catechism. Our purpose is to glorify God. And Jesus will be glorified through the lives of his believers. Listen, folks. Jesus will be glorified through your suffering. Through that difficult struggle that you're going through, Jesus will be glorified. He's being glorified through it. How's that possible? I want, you don't know what's going on. He will be glorified. He'll be glorified. Paul prayed that they would be counted worthy of their calling or salvation. This is the prayer that all of us should have, right? That we would be counted worthy of being a Christian. That he had his mercy on us and saved us. That you would be worthy. I've told you this before. I think it's maybe been a couple years. But I mean, I remember, you know, one of the things that guided me, I mean, I, I was just like any typical teenage teenage boy. I wasn't saved, but I would get in trouble. But one of the things that kind of gripped me from not getting into too much trouble was the fear of my daddy. And the fact that he basically said, cannons don't do that. And if you're going to wear that name, you know what I'm saying? You don't do that. And so that, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You were probably told, your family, you, you were probably told, you don't do that. Because it brought, that was back when shame was a part of our culture, it brought shame on the whole what? Family. Actually, it's starting to reappear again. Shame is starting to be a big thing now. You know what I'm saying? It is again. Social media is bringing that back. Paul prayed that they would be counted worthy. Folks, you need to think in terms of your life. Am I living in such a way that I would be counted worthy of the gospel? Ephesians chapter 4, beseech you, brethren, that you walk worthy of your calling. That's what he tells us in Ephesians about walking worthy of our calling. Okay? Walking worthy. Now, let's go on. Paul prayed that they would fulfill all the works of faith. What in the world is he talking about? All the works of faith? What's he talking about? Because I don't even know what all the works of faith are. What's he talking about here? 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now you come to Thessalonians, and he's praying that they would fulfill the works of faith. What works is he talking about? The works that God has created for you to complete while you're here. You may not know what they are, but he's planned them out for you. He's got something for you to do. As long as you're breathing, can I tell you right now, you're not going to live any longer than Jesus wants you to live. And as long as you're alive, he has something for you to do. And listen to me. He's got something for you to do. He's prepared good works for you. Now, here's what he's praying for the, for the Thessalonians. He's saying, he prayed that they would fulfill all of the works of faith. Now, notice now, notice how he's qualifying here. It's not just works, it's stuff that you do. It's stuff that you do out of your what? Faith. Stuff that you do out of your faith. Let's go on. Paul prayed that the name of Jesus would be glorified in him through his grace. Man, I think that's one thing we should be praying for each other. God, would you be glorified in my life? Would you be glorified in their lives? Would people see Jesus in their lives? Do you understand what I'm saying? Next week, he's going to address some more confusion. What do you mean? Well, in the last letter, he talked to them about the rapture, and he talked to them about the second coming. Well, there's some more confusion going on concerning the whole issue of the end times, and you know what? Nothing's changed. There's a whole lot of confusion today about that. So when we get to chapter 2, he's going to address the confusion. 